Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies. Held on select Fridays in May, each film touches upon artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, kicking off with Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro on May 10th at nortonsimon.org. Support for LAist comes from Pasadena Water and Power. Every individual's actions matter in preserving resources. Join the ripple effect to build a more resilient water future. Learn more about water programs, workshops, and ways to save at pwpweb.com slash the ripple effect. LAist Studios. You're listening to How to LA, the podcast that helps you understand more about LA's communities. I'm Brian De Los Santos. Today, we're talking about jornaderos. You've probably seen them as you drive to work, day laborers looking for gigs outside of home improvement stores or moving services. Also, maybe even at a random donut shop. That's Manuel Mejia. We met him and a group of jornaleros the other day near our office in Pasadena. They usually look for work outside a U-Haul rental. Manuel says workers, usually men, start their workday around 6 or 7 in the morning and line up for work, doing jobs at the employer's request. There are estimates of 35,000 day laborers working in Los Angeles. I remember one summer in high school, my tío would hire one or two workers from a Home Depot to help him with his roof and gutters business. They would help with things like nailing down stuff or the cleanup. They were always experts in many of the tasks. Jornaleros are part of what the California Employment Development Department calls the casual economy, meaning they're workers hired for an hour or a few days for different types of jobs. Carlos Miranda, another worker, says they do gardening, throwing away trash, moving, painting, concrete, drywall, and whatever you need. That last thing he said, whatever you need, that isn't common for most employees. You usually go to your 9 to 5 knowing what you have to get done. But day laborers take what they can get including odd or maybe even hazardous jobs. Carlos says that during the height of the pandemic, employers hired him to move a dead relative's belongings, not knowing what might have been contaminated. There was one guy who was telling me that he got hired to clean like a former brothel. He was like, we walked in and it smelled like there was a dead body. There was a stripper pole, used needles. And one of the sofas had like a syringe sticking out and almost got like one of the day laborers in the neck. Others were sharing stories about this one guy who wanted to hire workers to come to his house and watch porn with him and have drinks. That's my friend and LA Times reporter, Brittany Mejia, who wrote about jornaleros. Brittany met with day laborers and the nonprofits that help him, 
after a group of workers were hired to dump out rocks in Tarzana. Turns out, they weren't rocks. More on that story in the overall working community of Jornaleros after a quick break. Stay with me. Support for LAS comes from Latino Theater Company at the Los Angeles Theater Center, presenting the world premiere of Mix Mix, the Filipino Adventures of a German Jewish Boy by Boney B. Alvarez. Inspired by true events from the life of Ralph Price. After escaping Nazi Germany, a newfound tropical refuge in the Philippines is upended when Japan invades the islands. On stage through June 16th. Tickets and information at latinotheaterco.org. Support for LAist comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies, held on select Fridays in May. Each film touches upon Spanish artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro and The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie by Luis Buñuel. Screenings are at 4.30 p.m. on four consecutive Fridays starting May 10th. More information at nortonsimon.org. Hey there, you're listening to How to LA. We're talking to LA Times reporter Brenda Mejia about her recent story on day laborers and the often challenging tasks they're asked to do. Just a heads up that this episode includes some gruesome details about an alleged murder case. You actually reported your story after a man in Tarzana hired day laborers for an illegal job that turned into a murder case. Tell me what happened. Yeah, so that actually, that case in Tarzana really kicked off this story because it was a case of this guy last month in November who hired workers, told them that he was hiring them to dump rocks. Like he was like, oh, I, and it was from a day laborer corner that he hired them. And he was like, oh, I need you to come dump these bags and they're filled with rocks. And then when they went to go pick up the bags, they were like, oh, the bags feel like squishy or they don't feel like rocks. By the way, like, when someone tells you we need to dump some rocks, I guess they didn't bat an eye because, again, odd jobs happen. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, there are cases where people pick up trash. Like I was interviewing laborers who were like, oh, yeah, that's not an atypical thing. Like if someone's going to hire us to dump trash bags, we'll just haul them out to a site and that, you know, there's a specific dumping place and we'll just dump them there. Mm. And so it wasn't abnormal. I mean, they were kind of like, OK, great. And so four workers showed up and they had two trucks and, you know, they were carrying these bags. It was like 50 pound bags and they were just like oh this isn't it doesn't feel like rocks like this Mm. feels like something else i think the guy paid like 500 dollars, and they you know left and they like went a block away and they ended up opening one of the bags and in the bags they saw dismembered body parts and yeah i mean and they were just kind of like what is going on and ended up going back which to me it was wild hearing that like going back returning the bags returning the money and this guy was telling them oh it's halloween decorations what? uh yeah and so it was a case where they were and you know they were like no we don't want anything to do with it yeah i mean it was just kind of wild hearing that then these day laborers ended up going to the police station first they went to california highway patrol and then california highway patrol was told them, you know, go to LAPD. So they go to LAPD. There's no Spanish-speaking officer at the station. They end up bringing a Spanish-speaking officer. And then that officer tells them, like, go outside and call 911. You know, so these day laborers had done that extra step of being Mm -hmm. like, we're going to go report this because this is a bad situation. Something's really wrong here. And, you know, they go and basically there was a sense of like, 
were being ignored or not right. taken seriously. Uh, and, and and so then advocates pointed to that as a terrible thing when police neglect to help. Can you talk about what you heard and the impact of this on the, I guess you can say, the Jornalero community? Yeah, I mean, that I think was such a big sticking point for people when I was interviewing them because they were just like, it in their mind also police, you know, how police react to Jornaleros, even when they're doing their day-to-day job or if they're on street corners, there's a lot of kind of, in their mind, policing of them and policing of like, the sense of like, oh, if you're loitering in this area, you know, so they were just like, there's a lot of, you know, overzealous enforcement of that. But then they're like, but then when we go to complain or when we go to report something, we're not taken seriously. So you have it on two ends where you have who are feeling like kind of too over policed. And then you have the sense of like, okay, they don't even trust us or listen to us. And so that was one of the big things I kept hearing when I was out, you know, reporting this story was a lot of people saying like, what are other day laborers supposed to think? Like, if something like this happens, like, what is the motivation to go to the police? Also, if you're already risking, like, if you're undocumented, like, already risking going to the police and bringing this up, and you just kind of get pushed away, then the thought is like, why would you try again? Yeah, no, I hear that. Do you know what happened to the Jornaleros? Like, where are they now? Are they working somewhere? Yeah, so it's interesting. I actually, for this story, connected with a day labor organizing network, and they were trying really hard to find these workers because they wanted to help them get U visas, which is for victims of crimes or, like, even, you know, witnesses in this case, um, just to help them stay legally in the country. And in connecting with them, they actually were able to reach, and the last I'd heard, they were going to reach or meet with all four of them. But they had, at the time when I talked to them, connected with two. And you know, are actually trying to help and in process of trying to get them U visas. Okay. And just to close the loop here, what happened to that murder case in Tarzana? Yeah. So actually Sam Haskell, the person who hired these day laborers to dump the bags, he's since been charged with murder in like the murder of his wife and his in-laws. So his wife's parents who are still missing. So this Tarzana story is pretty wild and horrifying. How often are day laborers hired to do really extreme, maybe even illegal work like that? The Tarzana case is such the extreme example. It's not common, but it definitely does happen. I think there was a case out of Phoenix I I wrote about as well, where like one woman hired a day laborer and said they needed help moving items in their house. And her husband ended up holding up the guy at gunpoint and forcing him to sleep with his wife. And they served jail time. So, like, it happens. I feel like one of the big points people were stressing, it's not a super common thing, but you never really know. I guess they were telling me if you get hired, you never really actually know what people are hiring you for until you get there. So I want to pause and reiterate that every worker in California has rights, no matter immigration status, country of origin, or primary language. Some folks don't know that, including jornaleros. Um, Talk about how employers have preyed on day laborers who might not be able to advocate for themselves. What are some of the other things that are not odd jobs that people do to them? Yeah, so in reporting this story, it was interesting because I, when I was going to, like, a Home Depot in Monrovia, I was connecting with workers who had been cheated out of wages. Like one guy was telling me he had spent several hours painting a house. And at the end of it, you know, as they were nearing the finish time, the person that hired them was like, oh, there's a drop of paint on the window and just like refused to pay them anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and someone else who had cut plants and wasn't like told very clearly by the employer what they were supposed to be doing. And so then the employer came and they're like, oh, you cut the wrong plants and just like paid them for two hours instead of paying them for the full hours that they worked. And actually the plants he ended up cutting were like toxic. And so he got sick 
and was sick for like a week. I mean, it was really sad because he was telling me, you know, it would have been worth it in my mind if I had gotten paid. And so these were cases that were coming up. And especially if you are working and getting hired on a corner or getting hired at a home improvement store, there's not the same protections as there would be if you were getting hired, for example, through like a job center. Right. And what are some of the wages that these folks earn? So it really ranges. I think when people are hired, you know, at a, a corner at a, outside of a home improvement store, that is something negotiated between them. So like in this case of the guy who was cutting the plants, it was like $20 per hour that he was getting. So he ended up getting paid 40, but he worked like six hours. So he didn't get paid the full rate. But if it's like a job center that you're getting hired through, I think there's more help from staff to try to negotiate what the wage is going to be. And it's a decision really if like, are you going to get paid by day? Are you going to get paid through contract? So it really varies depending on the job, the expertise level required. And like job centers are there really to help kind of navigate how you should set the wage. Yeah, you visited this community job center in Pasadena and you kind of tell your, the story of how the scene is there, how people line up for jobs. Can you describe it for me? Yes, I went to the Pasadena Community Job Center, which is run by the Day Labor Organizing Network. And so typically what happens is they go in, they get kind of like a lottery ticket kind of deal and their names on it and all gets put in like a tin. And it's basically a raffle. And so, you know, one of the staff members will pick the the tickets out and will decide it, it kind of decides who who's on the list first. So like it goes in order. Um, and so when a call comes in for a job, the first person on the list will get offered that job and then so on and so forth. I was there, too, when sometimes people were getting hired for jobs like a few days later or to like paint something or in one case, a guy was spending a week helping renovate like a storefront, you know, knocking down a wall. So it really ranges. But the the job centers are really good because in those cases, there's a lot more protection, like employers are calling, they're giving, you know, their number, they're giving their address that. And there's a database basically these job centers can keep on employers to know, you know, is this actually the job that they had said it was going to be? Or were they hiring someone for something else? And so it, it's just an added layer of protection. Yeah, this might be helpful for a listener who doesn't really know the demographic of these workers. I feel like generally people might think that all jornaleros are undocumented, but they're not. Can you kind of tell us who arrives at these job centers or who arrives at the Home Depots and are looking for work? I think a fair amount are, but like there are also a lot who have been in this country for a really long time and been doing this work um, and are just accustomed to doing this work, like are either like carpenters or skilled in certain things, like even if that's painting or, you know, electric work. And so then they just find jobs through either the centers or just by like word of mouth or going to corners and knowing friends who can help like link them up with jobs. Yeah, it's basically a very informal gig economy type of atmosphere. Yeah, definitely. I think the yeah, the difference is like when you go through the job centers, like that's obviously more like manageable. Like it's a different it's a different scenario there. You know, Brittany, you report on a lot of issues in California that intersect identity and policy. Why do you feel like jornaleros continue to be disenfranchised employees when it seems like employers really need them? One of the things we talked about I, that really stuck with me in this reporting is sometimes I feel like because people think jornaleros are undocumented or aren't going to say anything or don't have aren't going to like fight back or speak up. I feel like they get taken advantage of. In reporting this story, I think that really stuck with me. Like when I went to that Home Depot in Monrovia, I felt like these workers had saved like the addresses of the places they had gone to and like photos of what they had done mm. and the number of the person who had employed them in the hopes, I think, of somehow like getting the money. 
And in reporting the story, I actually shared all of that with the National Day Labor Organizing Network because they can help do wage theft claims and they can actually help these workers, you know, try and recoup that money. Because for me, I'm like, I'm doing this story and the story brings obviously shines a light, but I'm like, how much is it doing for them like on this personal level? And so for me, I was like, I felt it was important to share their numbers and their information and everything they had compiled with an actual group who could help them try and recover that money. And so for me, I felt like that was a huge like learning experience in doing the story. Yeah, no, I I think you saying sharing back the information of you know, workers who might have been cheated out on wages or just had a horrible experiences back to organizations you worked with and reported with is a lot. What would you say, what would you want someone hearing this episode who's like, I never knew about Jornaleros and now like I know a little bit more about them. What would you want them to take away from your story that, you know, actually came about from a murder case, but really you want to explore and, and tell the story about this community of workers that are kind of, you know, disenfranchised. Yeah, I think the big thing I would want people to take away and think about is that these workers matter and they're the work that they do is important and it's valuable. Like, I feel like I don't know that sometimes I feel like they're just written off, but I think a lot they have a lot of expertise in different things, whether that's painting or roofing work or demolition work. Which is really hard, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Like, we don't have that skill level or expertise. And I feel like there needs to be more of a value placed on what these workers do. It's like placing value on like what these workers do and recognizing like the importance of what they do. And I just would hope that more people would think about that, like when they're hiring these workers and also that more people would go hire these workers, like go to these job centers. Like, you know, there's there's job centers scattered around um, Southern California. It's not it's not hard to find them. I feel like just calling them. And if you have a job, just thinking, okay, yeah, actually, I could use someone and they need that day's work. Maybe next time I go hang up new frames in my house, I get a hold on a letter to help me out because I also can't get the frames right on my wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Brittany, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. That was Brittany Mejia. You can find more of her reporting on LA Times. That is all we have for you today. Tomorrow, we are back with part three of our mutual aid series. We'll be taking a deeper dive into temporary housing in the homelessness crisis. Oh, and if you're listening on NPR One, do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. That way you'll be able to listen to us every weekday. Thanks. Catch you back here mañana. This episode was produced by Megan Botel and Tony Morales. Our other team members include Victoria Alejandro, Monica Bushman, Evan Jacoby, and Erica Washington. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.